So when we uh, start to revisit some of the, the teachings that we've heard or picked up over time, we're running through, verifying, checking out what's this about. Uh, and of course one of the very simple core teachings is to, um, to let go, uh, let go of attachments, to not be attached, to relinquish attaching, holding on to things. Mm. Have you checked this out? You think it's a good idea? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and why is it a good idea? <laughs> things change, don't they? <laughs> and uh, they don't quite come up with the results that we were somehow we imagined or uh, we kind of mirage. Uh, what are these mirages? You know? Stability, permanence, security. Mm-hmm. It's not a, a small matter. Big matter, big topic. You know, being seek security. Would you like to have security? Stability? They get pretty crazy without it, don't they? So actually, more specifically, the Buddha says seeking security in that which isn't secure. So it's a slight, you know, uh, there's a hint there, isn't there? There is a security, a seeking. So because that that instinct of security is so uh, innate, so ingrained, we seek it in a place to live, um, in material security, enough to eat. Temporal security, the future will be okay. Insurance, save up, pension, money, savings, um, place to live. We seek it in people, ring of friends for help, you know, in times of crisis or to enjoy. Um, in ourselves, you know, stable, steady state of mind. Well, life is extremely painful. But when you do, one begins to recognize, well, yeah, you know, people come and go. Uh, so, their security is in the state of mind. And of all these, we're exploring, because you do recognize states of mind also are the nature to change, to come and go. So, is there a permanent, stable state of mind? And uh, so we scroll through quite a few. Uh-uh, uh-uh, uh-uh. Hmm. Oh, oh, that one too. Oh. <laughs> and say, so, well, there is, but it's it's subtler than that. It's the knowing of the state of mind. So it's the awareness, the knowing of the state of mind. That is something that could be uh, 
because it's not of the world of change. Mind states change. The knowing of the state of mind is something that could be improved, to be steady. That's a big shift, really, a very important shift. Because it's not about not having states of mind. It's not about having states of mind, nor it's about not having states of mind. It's about knowing a state of mind is a state of mind. And so this is our ongoing um, inquiry, help, and so the process of, of meditation and introspection. And the nature of one's, once you get this possibility, then you start to see how you can work from what's the most highest potential for security, for stability, and then structure, begin to arrange, you know, your life around that. Similarly, the other um, quality that people seek is well-being, happiness, comfort, pleasure, happiness. And the Buddha said, yeah, this is true, but seeking happiness in what isn't uh, naturally satisfying is the problem. So we look through some of those, the things that make us somewhat happy some of the time, and then kind of don't quite fulfill us. And you scroll through a lot in that sense, sense pleasures, intellectual delights, um, entertainments, um, getting a degree, exciting, these kinds of things. Moral superiority gives a little burst of glee every now and then. <laughs> <laughs> Feeling right. <laughs> How long does that one last? You've got to keep it going, haven't you? It generally means putting other people down somewhere or another. So these all create a certain amount of struggle to keep going. And the payoff gets less. So, you say, you know, essentially the shortcut is to say, well, it's not that there isn't satisfaction, contentment, but seeking that which can't do it, that's the, that's the mistake. Yeah. They're called vipalasas, topsy-turvy, upside down. But because these, this uh, uh, hunger is so strong for stability, for well-being, and for ourselves. We seek to be at something. We seek to know who we are, to have a sense of self, to be something, to have an, or to have a fundamental 
you know, steady center that we can, this is the me bit, everything else is that, and this is, you know. And the Buddha said, this one also you get wrong. <laughs> because searching for that kind of uh, central, fundamental polarity in thoughts, in perceptions, in feelings, in energies, in these uh, sankharas, which means uh, programmed energies, drives, urges, patterns, behaviors, seeking to be a, a core, have a core quality in that, in what we call ourself, actually. This doesn't, isn't going to happen. Because everything that the self is made of is innately transient, um, changeable, uh, not fulfilling. It's always um, leaking. It's always breaking up. It's, it's, it's uh, you know, it's about um, owning. We can't really own things. It's about controlling. We can't really control things. Uh, it's about keeping things away. We can't do that either. Uh, it's about having some nth quality that we can say this is mine. That doesn't work either. Mm-hmm. And this one is another very powerful drive. And it's saying it's not that there isn't. Uh, a sense of presence, you could say, but seeking in that which is constantly running, streaming, running, you can, it doesn't happen. It's on, you're looking in the wrong place. This is another vipalasa, distortion. And yet this, these are so such instinctive, impersonal drives. There's something in that. And it's the redirecting of those drives that is the transformation of those drives um, that is the process that we undertake. And the beauty of it is, is that all those vipalasas mean there has to be some kind of holding on. You know, like uh, to hold on to a particular quality of feeling, otherwise I get really rattled. I have to hold on to a particular quality of you know, circumstance, otherwise I start to feel nervy and restless. I have to hold on to being on my own sometimes and then not being on my own or, you know, otherwise I feel awkward and funny. And so forth. We get into our, um, our personality drives. We start to, um, you know, colonize space, this is mine, that's there, this is this, I do this at this time, we do that. We get into systems addiction. Systems addiction means that we have a 
on Tuesdays I do this, at six o'clock I do that, uh, I always eat this on this day, I like things done this way and not that way, this is tidy, this is messy, this is right, this is wrong. Um, we get like that customs systems. We get they, to the aim of it, they would give us a, a nice, fixed, stable system to go into. Yeah. And then we'll be okay. But as you recognize, particularly, it's easy to see in others, of course. <laughs> My system's fine. <laughs> Just, I don't want, understand why nobody else wants to do it. My <laughs> That's exactly what happens. <laughs> you know, because this quality of addiction to systems and customs becomes religious beliefs, uh, political inclinations, ideologies, uh, you name it, it runs right across the human spectrum to um, styles of manner, etiquette, what's polite behavior, um, what's expected of a man or a woman, and so on. There's certain systematization yeah, and addiction to it, because then we know where we are. I know where I am, I'm in my groove, and I feel okay in that. Outside of us start to get rattled. Because the search is for security, we try to find it in systems and customs, um, in beliefs. And uh, uh, and none of these, these will always create conflict with people doing it another way or in occasions where you can't set that up. You can't do your system because the universe is incorporating with it. Now follow your custom. You're in a different country, or something of this nature. So this then, essentially, we begin to, to recognize, sometimes painfully, the stress involved with this uh, attachments. And uh, and yet the search for stability continues. We find trying to find in something else, different belief, different set of something or the others. Or we try to kind of iron out the crinkles in our system, looking for the perfect one. And people get very steamed up about, about this and quite righteous about it all. We found the new system. It's all whatever it is, you know, clean and efficient and equal and right and pure and this, that, and the other. <laughs> yeah. And so you can see this certainly in um, the Buddhist world. We have who's the purest, 
who is the oldest, who is the most traditional, who's got the best cred, you know, most interesting, quickest way to enlightenment. <laughs> Let's do a comparison, you know. <laughs> and so on. And this, uh, and this is just, uh, you can feel the, uh, <coughs> the disagreeable uh, quality of that. So these um, attachments uh, are not just on material things. Material things are really relatively easy, relatively easy. Much more difficult is the immaterial. This is where, because citta is really immaterial. The heart-mind is an immaterial experience, and it can only ever really experience signs and representations. It only experiences what things remind it of. It doesn't touch anything, it doesn't see anything. It just gets signals of that was pleasant, that was steady, that was agreeable, that gave me a boost. So we go to that thing again. But actually what it wants is the stability and the uplift. So, you know, so as you go from being three years old when it was a little teddy bear or something was great to being 25 years old where teddy bears are no longer so much fun. But still, we search, the search goes on. So it's never really material things, it's this immaterial qualities of stability, comfort, and permanence and being something. So there's attachment to being something. Clearly this becomes that in terms of people's power urges. You can see that in people uh, political power, craving for supremacy and have authority and power controlling and um, the abuse that occurs with that. You can see the gross level being conducted in the public arena. Gross clamoring and maneuvering and manipulating to gain more power to become somebody, you know, special. And uh, when you see it in the, in the gross level, you can see how, uh, you know, how ridiculous and distasteful it is. But then, when you start to contemplate this energy, you think, why do, why do people want to do that? That wish to be something fulfilled, uh, perhaps accepted by others, appreciated by others, valued, um, given, or even, um, you know, left alone. I want to become someone who's left alone. I want to become strict. I want to become the strictest person, or the most dedicated, or the funniest, or something, to become something. So this is the myth of progress. And this is a very uh, powerful um, assumption that there's such a thing as progress. And you may think, that's not that's not a myth, it's true, it's progress. We've gone from having horses and carts to 
vehicles, planes and so forth. That's progress. No, it's not progress. What's, what's progressed? Is there any less greed? Is there less aversion? <laughs> any less jealousy? No, well, there's no progress then, is there? <laughs> Just change the toys, that's all. <laughs> you know, in terms of chitta, in terms of heart-mind, what progress? And as you begin to review this, this just checking it out. Are we any um, essentially? What does the chitta seek in terms of the idea of progress? A sense of movement, you know, a feeling of moving up to some peak where everything will be okay. We'll be fine. We can even call that enlightenment. Becoming enlightened. That's what I'd like to become. If I do enough progress, hard enough, fast enough, quick enough, I will progress to liberation. That sounds convincing to me. So what's the quickest way to do that? I don't have to hang around. What's the quickest way to get to that enlightenment thing? Look, just cut through the complexities, give me a straight scoop on how I do that. <laughs> so I get to that place where everything stops or things go quiet or lights rise or I feel suffused with something. Where do I get that one? I want to get the realization. And the Buddha says, Well, you stop doing that. <laughs> <laughs> What do you mean, doing what? (laughs) (laughs) Doing that. (laughs) Because you don't even realize you're doing it. You know, it's an energy. It's an an energy that's passionate. You know, what's more? You must be getting more of something. So he said, this is the thing to see through. So then, you know, you look at the, uh, some of these um, you know, lines the Buddha gives, he says, well, you know, if, uh, what I'm offering is detachment, dispassion, relinquishment and cessation. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> is there somebody else I could talk to? <laughs> Complete world weariness. <laughs> yeah, I think you, this fellow's got a problem. <laughs> Sounds so negative. But it's like a, it's essentially it's this, uh, you're turning away from becoming, feeling the urge, and it takes some attention just to recognise that that all those prospects of what one will be, or could be, or somebody else is, or somebody was, in the past. They really did it in the past, and you didn't, and you're not going to, because you haven't become this yet. All that is in the mind, isn't it? The mind sets up these targets, 
that sets up these bars to, to keep raising and keep jumping over. And there's a very high one. And so you, you, you look in the scriptures, you see these amazing things, and gracious me, jhanas, and neither perceptions, and immaterial spheres, and wow. <laughs> Classically, the Buddha said, um, yeah, there's all these things you can go to, these places you can go to, and this is probably, if you want to become anything, this is, this is pretty good. But if you want to stop becoming, then the realization of the deathless is through not clinging. Don't create these images, impressions. Don't get lost in consciousness, in mind states. Refined or gross. Be the knowing of mind states. Refined or gross. That's a, that's a very simple crystallization. Because that's stable. That's steady. That's not going anywhere. It's not refusing anything. It's just refusing to cling to states, phenomena that the jitta generates in its dreams. And through uh, and the process of that, which is more important rather than the goal or the thing at the end of the, the line, as it were, mm-hmm. is this begins with just this disengagement. And why is that? Because in that, you're not really taking a stand upon things existing or non-existing. Mm-hmm. And so the mind, the jitta then steps back and it finds in that something which is closer to its true home, you might say. And then to deepen and cultivate that. Be the awareness, so when it's disengagement doesn't mean things aren't happening, but for that, in that mode, there's awareness, this process is occurring, you're not resisting it, you're not adopting it, it's like that, you accept in that, and it's allowed to arise, form, and pass. And through this process, there's an increasing sense of, there's a quiet peacefulness about that. And it's not, it doesn't feel like an attainment of anything. You don't feel whoopee. But it's a particular, there's a, almost you could say, a position that has no position to it. A stability that has no place to stand. Doesn't create territory. Saying, it allows things to form and pass. And this is Viveka. 
called disengagement or detachment, and through that, and what begins to occur through that is a shift of what one really finds most, or one's jitta begins to acquire a taste for. Now it's a maturing process. It's not really, you know, you, you can kind of, meditation is a way of priming that process, certainly, because then you're trying to directly witness um, mind states, uh, feelings, sensations, energies, uh, craziness, peacefulness, um, irritations, the whole lot, and not snag on it. Don't look back. Don't look, don't snag on it. Don't look back. Let it move through and cultivate ways to it to support that non-snagging. So it can move through. Through this the jitta begins to acquire a change of taste. So I prefer a place of dispassion. Seems more steady more comfortable than the place of getting excited and fired up and then disappointed and angry and then conceited and then humiliated. <laughs> it's, a, it's too rough a ride. You know? <laughs> oh, that, this is something that just, it has to learn. And to bear in mind, uh, you know, the, the person probably does the best she can to keep point, you know, pointing the jitter to it, but it's rather like training a dog. You know, you keep pointing it to it and it begins to learn. It, the jitter is a learning experience. It learns. But what it learns is through directly facing, directly facing, getting its nose into it. And occasionally it smells bad, and it thinks, ooh, don't want that. <laughs> or it gets a nip and it pulls back, that's the, that's the way it learns. And it begins to say, hey, it feels better back here. And all you can do is just keep encouraging that direct, as direct appreciation of experience as possible. This sounds curious when I'm saying this is about disengagement, because it seemed like well, that means this detached like really way, way back there and, you know, out of it. Not really. It's about a certain emotional um, lightness, you could say. Losing intensity about it. And that process takes time because one, the chitta is inherited a, a tremendous amount of uh, conviction in these surges, powerful surges of energy. Progress, happiness, excitement, getting to a conclusion, discovering something, finding something out, coming up with a great idea. It loves that stuff. It loves the rush, and it, you can't. You just have to keep placing it there and see that rush rushes and fades. 
So this is, it begins to learn. And it's not. And the learning process is rarely that comfortable. <laughs> there is a certain comfort that comes to as you, as something is learned, and you just, oh, and let that pass. Because it it's, comes in tandem with the jitta's ability to find some sense of, of balance and poise um, in itself, rather than be held, be held and supported by mind states, feelings, um, contact, sense impressions, identities, and so forth, occupations, progress, and so forth. To find it, it held or feel poised in its own sensitivity, receptivity, openness. To acquire that taste. And finding that this does provide a certain stability. But of course, it's not a stability in the way that we would imagine it, which we tend to bring up a sense of time. So, this is fine for now, but what about tomorrow? This is okay, great, but what about next year? What about, you know, it goes like that, doesn't it? It tries to extend it in time. This is another great uh, fallacy. The, lateral, the, literal, the linear time thing, because the jitter actually doesn't operate in time, in linear time. Linear time is a, is a construction. So, yeah, of course the world operates around it. So we think of 2020, 2019, or when I'm 65, or when I'm 95, or as a thought. Right. And you say, yeah, but it's going to happen. Well, I wouldn't bet on it. <laughs> but if you contemplate your chitta, you know, your heart awareness, how old is that? Is it five? <laughs> Twenty-eight? Six? 35, 50, 60. How old is that? How old is awareness? It doesn't make sense, does it? So if there's no age, how can it move forward in time? How is it that as you sit, you're experiencing phenomena that you'd say, oh, that happened yesterday? Oh, that was three years ago. Oh, that was when I was in, since, you know, Indianapolis or something. Um, so what's occurring is memory, perceptions, imaginations, anticipations, those occur. Fears, anxieties, those definitely occur. And those fears and anxieties get translated to well, I have enough money when I get old. You know, ooh. But really what occurs is anxiety. 
perception and anxiety is what occurs in terms of jitta, isn't it? So, you know, you're not 65, or perhaps you are, but if you're 65, you're not 66. You know, you're not other than where you are, and where you are has no age to it. It's just this. Now, if we imagine what the future will be, that's an imagination, isn't it? You cannot be the future. You cannot live in the future. More radically, there isn't a future. The future, if you contemplate it, directly in the jitta is either anticipation, oh, that would be nice, anxiety, oh, that's going to be terrible, <laughs> dread, <laughs> or planning. I do this, I do that, I'm not getting That's what it is. Right? And the past is, oh my goodness, no. Oh God. Don't remind me of that. <laughs> or it's, well, she wasn't so bad after all, really. When did she went to her? You know? Or, that was great when we used to go there, or that so and so. It's happiness, unhappiness, memory, isn't it? So, where's that? So, it doesn't move in time, but what it does scroll through constantly is various experiences of varying kinds of emotional intensity. Isn't that true? Poignant, humorous, intense, serious, searing, agitating. That's what happens. Isn't it? And so we say, actually, what the jitta does move through, or move round in, because maybe you know, when you really get down to it, today the anxiety is about what I'm going to happen when I'm 65, and then the next thing is the anxiety about what I'm going to have for dinner. <laughs> then the next thing is the anxiety about what other people feel about me. Then there'll be anxiety of being included in the group. Then there'll be anxiety about being excluded from the group. <laughs> Lo and behold, it's really just rolling around the same phenomenon, isn't it? <laughs> and creating different scenarios to experience the same stuff. And what is this stuff called? What is this rolling around called? called karma. Inherited karma. Karmic tendencies. The tendency to be anxious. The tendency to be um, fearful. The tendency to be craving. The tendency to... These are karmic tendencies. This is what it's moving through. And if you recognize it, it doesn't even move through it. They keep moving through it, don't they? Over and over and over again. Developing different kinds of scenarios to clothe it, clothe these root tendencies. And so and so the, and time is a very good mask for this. A very convincing mask. Because the world is believing in it. So, yeah, we've got some anxiety. Well, it's very easy to be anxious about the future. So, let's have a future. (laughs) (laughs) And in reality, it's just a mask. And so, you know, very important to get directly, as direct, through these conventional trappings of time and 
place. Here I'm feeling anxious in Hawaii. Now I'm anxious in California. Now I can be anxious in Detroit. And now I'm going on vacation to be anxious in Mexico. (laughs) What changed? The wallpaper, basically. (laughs) Jitter doesn't move in space either. Wherever you go, there it is. Never left you. Never changed. It doesn't move in space, it doesn't move in time. The sooner you dis- discard those things as being something to really get moored in, then the more directly you can experience the truth of what your jitta, your heart-mind is in. And that's what it can be released from. That's why we're trying to come to this to come through this, to get as directly close up as possible, because you have to know what the jitta is moving in, what it's obsessed with, what it's fixated upon, what it's trapped by, in order to release it. So, just thinking about tomorrow, if you're thinking about tomorrow, fine, but just trace it back. What does that mean? Eagerness? Bored here. That's what I'm thinking about tomorrow. Bored. Okay, fine. Let's get down to bored and look at that. Negativity. Not getting enough rush. Not getting enough sense of success. Not getting enough sense of zap, buzz, high, different idea, wonderful, illuminating experience. You know, I carved out some time for this retreat. I want a good hit. So as I can remember it. <laughs> I want something I can remember. Or tell other people about. I had a great retreat, look, this is what happened. Instead of, well, I kind of got bored and restless. <laughs> and uh, planned the future like normal. <laughs> I don't waste it. You went on a retreat for that? <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> the retreat blurb looked quite interesting, so I thought I'd sign up for it. <laughs> Wherever you go, there it is. But what the retreat is trying to offer is just to block some of the, the avenues that we go out on so we can contemplate the, you know, all that pushing to this and to that. And you want to give me a new idea? Uh, heard about this breathing and out, yeah, yeah. What about tantric empowerment? It's much more interesting. <laughs> Did you try and do it? It's boring too. <laughs> so coming to terms yeah, with some of those, just really what's happening, core root qualities, yeah, and then, because we're so we're so reactive to these uh, what what these qualities signify, you know, there's so much self involved in the chitta. That's one of the big uh, problems of it. It's so much taken so personally. 
So once she's sort of experiencing, oh, I'm an anxious person, I'll stop being so anxious. Oh, nobody knows I'm anxious. I'm not really anxious, I'm just carefully, prudently thinking of the future, that's all. Mm-hmm. You know, this kind of thing. So we get embarrassed by the, the, these states, or deny them, or something or the other. Yeah. So this bounce of self-consciousness, which is the fundamental thing that gets us bouncing, you know, shame, guilt, regret, want more, so that I can have more for me. I have a good experience I can take some photographs of. You know. This self-consciousness. So, again, this is another powerful, very powerful wrapping around what's really occurring. So powerful that Buddha said, yeah, this is very difficult to get through. Best thing, try to translate these phenomena into direct experience of this is energy moving, shifting, changing. This is just dumbness forming, impersonal. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So even you can even let the names relax, feeling the trembling, the disorientation, the urging to fill something, the need to be filled, the trembling. Yeah. Looking around, the disorientation, yeah. seeking to fill some, put something in, fill me up, mm. and so and here, this in this particular scene that we're cultivating, taking this into into the body. This, of course, takes some priming, some practice to regain the body as a sensitive system, not just the lump of meat that you sling around and put coffee in. (laughs) (laughs) A sensitive system that that can begin to tremble, resonate with these jitter experiences. The flushing, the heating, the tensing, the loss of parts of it, suddenly, you know, recognizing the legs have disappeared. You know, just the head. You know, just a strange pulsation in your head. Your legs have disappeared. So even sensing the loss of body, you're aware of that, and then regaining it. So that this then, this entirety, acts as as something that will hold the impressions of the jitta in a way that is very non-verbal, non-complaining, non-proliferating. So one of the great
keys, uh, you know, why we use body, because there's one particular phenomenon, one particular process or program that occurs within the jitta, which does not occur in the body, and it's called prapancha. Prapancha means complexifies, or proliferates, or makes into an object. This word can mean several things. What it means is a certain rush that means a simple signal, like, uh, let's have some tea, becomes, what kind of tea? How many kinds of tea? Would you like it hot, cold, big jar, small jar? Would you like a mug or a cup? Would you like it in porcelain, china, plastic, thermos? Would you like black tea, green tea, white tea, red tea, blue tea? How big, how small? Yeah. Um, you know, it becomes complexified. Because what's occurring in that is that the jitta's search for happiness streams out and takes this one object and searches for the right one. So it makes one thing into many things to compare. This is better than that. So it complexifies, it creates the source of happiness to be a thing out there. Right? That's the objectification. Having done so, once it sees the things out there, it creates another thing to compare it with, a better, and then an alternative if that one doesn't work. So it, it proliferates, it objectifies and proliferates. Right? So the sense of the urge for happiness or, or, or right, what's the right way to do something? This is another big booby trap. <laughs> the right way. So right, the right way. Get that urge to get things right, so put it out there. You know, what's the right way to do it? And then the mind got going bananas. <laughs> oh, what's the right way? Because right isn't even, you know, what's that? It's a feeling, perhaps everybody agrees with it. That's it. Everybody approves of it. That must be the right way. But you try and find that one. Yeah. So it's trying to find, amongst all these possibilities your mind creates, of the one that will get the maximum approval. Could be that, 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 but that one, you know. Then he might not like that, she like that. It's kind of magnification over the urge for, for the right thing. Yeah? So, in the great kindness of the Buddha, he says, there isn't a right thing, it's all wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, there's <laughs> just different kinds of not bad. <laughs> this is not emotionally gratifying or intellectually stimulating, but it's very compassionate because it lets you off the hook. Just do the best you can, just deal with the flack when it comes, because it will come. <laughs> So then this ending of proliferation, you know, the jitter then sits back. But of course, to, to accomplish that, you have to see for what it is. You feel, and you're feeling how proliferation generally takes you out of your body. 
This is always a very risky sign. Because you started going to the mental world of creating lots of objects, the energy rushes out, rushes out, rushes out, the energy rushing out, creating all these objects, juggling in the air. Where's your body? Body? Oh, it's down here somewhere. <laughs> I'm very busy right now. <laughs> I'm busy fantasizing. Don't bother me. <laughs> so you come into that, you know, and then you can feel this urge to. It's not, well, not really interesting because his body will look after itself. But while I'm busy fantasizing, because the body doesn't do that it doesn't create options and alternatives it just experiences pleasure and pain it likes pleasure and doesn't like pain but it doesn't do it, it doesn't, when it's in pain it doesn't imagine pleasure it just <coughs> tightens up to deal with pain it's by no means you know, enlightened but it doesn't proliferate so if you come, draw your, your mental stuff into that, this feeling, this is stressing. This is not needed. This is not giving me stability. Yeah. Maybe this is better, to relinquish the rosy future. To relinquish getting it right. To relinquish making everybody happy. Oh dear. This is getting painful. <laughs> but maybe this is more assured. More assured. And when the weight's off, maybe your chitta will show you something rather beautiful. Yeah. When the pressure's off, when the weight's off, when the craving and the fear has faded. Maybe it's got something in store for you that you that it was that you couldn't present before because it was so cluttered and so absorbed and so spinning in itself in its dreams it couldn't present it was too busy dreaming if it wakes up from the dream maybe it's something to present yeah taste of freedom. <coughs> Taste of spaciousness, acceptance, ease, stability. What you always wanted. But you were too busy craving for it, for it to allow it to arise. So the Buddha is saying there is. Yes, there is a happiness. Yes, there is a stability. Yes, there is a place where presence but it's not in your personality system and it's not in what your mind creates it's when your mind stops creating these believing in these and adoring these and wrangling with these fantasies and horrors dreads and anxieties images of yourself what you could and should and are and aren't Images of what you think other people think you are and aren't. When it stops generating this cascade of perceptions and impressions, it stops proliferating. 
something special to show you. So this is, you know, path, disengagement, detachment, dispassion. You get less emotionally frantic about what's going on. Ceasing is stop proliferating. Your mind, jitter, has learned, doesn't favour options and possibilities and alternatives and could be this and could be that. Just I don't want that. Stops. That. Therefore it comes out of the dream. This we call awakening. That's the what the Buddha is trying to encourage. Awakening, no suffering. Awakening, Jitter is freed. Awakening, there's the energy of jitta is turned in sympathy for the welfare of beings, because that's what it can do. Jitta is primarily a resonant experience, it resounds, it trembles it. That's what it so while while it's in this form, even the Buddha's mind, you know, after his realization of Nibbana, you know, the stopping, the ceasing, you think he's not just that's it guys, I'm out of it. <laughs> but it's called this Anukampa, which is a sense of primal sympathy, resonates. There are beings suffering. It resonates with that, therefore directed this way. Not to become famous, not to become the greatest, not to make everybody happy, but just you present what there is. And then those who will see you look in that mirror. So, you know, letting go of attachment. And to bear in mind that, the, that letting go of attachment is not something that can be done as an act of will. It's not something a person can do. You know, the really, deep, the really, you know, deep stuff. Because deep stuff is not attachment to cigarettes or, you know, certainly there are, these are addictions, internet stuff and so on. But why? Look into the deep stuff, and it's about generally about excitement, progress, uh, becoming something, getting filled with something, you know, filling up the void, the vacuity. And these are things you cannot stop as an act of will. You cannot say, "I will, or I will give up." you know, the wish for stability. What occurs is there are as a remedial process whereby there is there are a sense of this is this is more stable. This is more stable. This 
sense of being aware, mindful, of cultivating skillful virtues. This is firmer ground. And gradually, jitta begins to to, um, realize itself, come out of the constructions. So that's, but that maturing process cannot be done by the person as an act of will. It has to be done through the person carefully managing her or his attention and intentions towards direct handling, bearing with, accepting, fathoming, direct experience. And then you have to give it time to learn. And the beauty of this is, of course, meditation is a very um, crystalline occasion for that. And we might feel the phenomenon we call breathing. It's just swellings and distensions and energies, isn't it? There's no real breath there. And holding the mind open to that. But then, of course, you can expand that. This is the experience of a day. You know, the energy's coming up slowly in the morning, and tireder. There's that bearing with the day, bearing with yourself as you go through, the person goes through her or his, you know, stuff. Accepting the presence of that, not snagging in that. It's a careful process until the chitta begins to learn. There's nothing in here to really get hooked into or to fight with. And this is the learning process that leads to the jitta waking up. This is our occasion. It's the occasion, hopefully, of this lifetime for you, not just the retreat. Here, perhaps, we're learning to simplify and refresh our attention, refresh our understanding, uh, and find some skillful means to continue furthering our education, our inner education. So, offers for your reflection. Hanayam Vada Dhamma Tataya Sadhu Karanga Dhamma Seri